So last week we talked about being justified. This text will pick up a little bit. Uh, we'll, we'll pick up right there. And as we talk through a thought, we're going to call a love like none other. A love like none other. So uh, as we get into this, as always, the text will be on the wall. Or uh, you can follow along in your own Bible there as well. Okay, but uh, when you hear that phrase, something like none other, what does that mean? What's it mean? It's like none other. Okay, can't be duplicated or replaced. Good. Somebody else I thought said something. What'd you say? One of a kind. Okay, good. Like none other. Have you ever used that phrase before? So maybe this experience was like none other or this pain or this point in your life, season in your life, whatever. Now I was listening to... Um, uh, an ESPN analyst here this past weekend, and he was talking about a guy you and I used to cheer for, right? Now he's at another team out, and is he in L.A., maybe California? Uh, our girls call him Pujoles, right? <laughs> holes. He got his 3,000th hit, right? And just listening to some of these analysts talk about him, like he's the best of our generation is what some referred to him as. He's, he's the one that there is none like in our day and time. Not the best ever, they wouldn't say. Um, but as far as right now, uh, he's a baseball player like none other. Right? So maybe you could use that phrase there. I heard a guy recently use this phrase as he was talking about a carrot cake. Uh, so his birthday was coming around and every year he gets this carrot cake for his birthday. And a matter of fact, he brought me a slice of it this past week. He said, you got to try this. It's like none other. Right? Those were his words. So Lots of good cakes out there. Lots of good carrot cakes out there, I'm sure. Uh, but it was good, right? So from his perspective, he says it's like, it's like none other, right? Um, I was thinking here this morning about, uh, you've heard of Michael Jordan? Never heard of that guy, have you? Uh, Michael Jordan, to date, has made about $100 million off of just Nike. Just selling... He's not doing much of anything except putting his name out there or being on posters or whatever. He made $94 million when he played. Isn't that crazy? So as long as he was lacing up shoes, $94 million, $100 million today just in, uh, you know, in his advertisements. And you can add up a lot of these other guys and what their shoe sales are and merchandise sale, and they don't even come close to his. So even though he's not playing anymore... He's still having this influence. And so some would say of Jordan, he was a basketball player like none other. You know, have you ever seen these little babies? They're like three months old and they're wearing Jordans. Just these little shoes are like 35, 45, 50 bucks maybe, about that big. That they grow out of tomorrow. <laughs> and lots of uh, students that I have, that, that's what they want to wear on the basketball court. Right? They never really saw Jordan play other than on highlight reels. But he's still having this influence. And so some people might speak of him and say he was like none other. Right? He was a player like none other, not only in his day and time, but in our day here and now. Uh, so lots of things we could talk about as it relates to um, like none other. But today we're going to talk specifically about the love of God. And we're going to see how you and I love and we express and experience love, but God's love is a love like none other. And we'll see Paul outline that for us here in Romans chapter 5. So if you've got your Bible, we'll head that direction as we read these first eight verses. So last week we talked about God being a just God. Right? And as a just God, he upholds the standard. Kind of like you and I do in our home. Here's the rule. When you break the rule, here's the consequence. We uphold the standard. 
We don't just say, ah, oh, it's no big deal. Right? I just put that out there for a guide. You don't really have to obey it. God gave us the law, remember, to follow it. And since we haven't followed it, uh, he didn't wipe it away like saying it's not a big deal. He upheld it through the, through the crucifixion of Christ. So when he paid the price, you remember, he upheld the standard of the law. That made him just. But it also made him the justifier, which means he initiated a relationship with anybody who would reach out to him in faith. Uh, so looking at the justifying work of Christ last week leads us then to this love of God this week. Some of the things we said last week were things like this. Justification is not just about forgiveness, although it includes that. It's not just about what we've done in the past, sinfully, but it's about what we'll do in the future. Remember, he's the only one who offers future pardon. Uh, we talked about how it is um, instantaneous, so it's not a progression. You're partly justified until you can figure out how to do it better, and then I'll add a little more justification to you. That's not how it works. It's right now, and that allows us to be made right with God. Okay, we're going to see him pick up with that and add a few more things to, to the results of being justified. And one of those will be the love of God. All right, so Romans 5 here. Let's read these first eight verses together uh, as we see how hope, peace, all these things are rooted in the love of God. So therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've gained access by faith into the grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance will produce character and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so it is today. Let's look here at a few things as it relates to this love that is like none other, this love that belongs to God alone. So as always, you can follow along a few things here if you'd like to highlight as we track today. It's always good to have a pen in your hand. You may not want to write down at all what you hear out loud. Maybe God speaks something to your heart. Or maybe you read a verse and it's like, I want to go back and study that later. It would be good just to have a reference there of, uh, of what you'd like to do. All right? So let's begin here. A love like none other is this. It, it's going to give us some assurance that our hope that is in God will not disappoint us. And so our hope that's in God will not disappoint us. There are a few things that we said initially, all right, that justification is going to lead to. And Paul's going to add to those here in this text. One of those things he says is peace with God. So when you and I have peace with God, it means our sin is removed and now we're restored to a right relationship with him. And so we mentioned that a little bit here as we talked about being made right with God. And so what separated us has been removed. He also said that we have access to grace and that grace is in present tense. It's what we currently stand in. It's what is currently working in us and working for us and going to be working through us. And so our only hope, our only plea is in Christ alone, right? So here we've got justification, and it gives us forgiveness. It gives us future pardon. It makes us right with God. It's instantaneous. It gives us peace with God. It's going to give us grace to stand in. But what we're looking at today is this word hope, at least at this portion. It gives us a hope to boast about or something to brag in, and specifically when it relates to suffering, so it's easy, we talked about this some earlier as well, it's easy to 
praise God and give glory to God when things are going well. Right? Remember we said that, I got a new job, and so what do we say? The Lord is good. Right? And whatever, I got an, an increase, or we just had a baby, or our house sold, or whatever you're looking for. When something good happens, it's easy to boast in the goodness of God. But in the midst of suffering and trial and tribulation or heartache, sometimes that can be a real struggle. And so what Paul says here is we can hope or we can boast in the glory of God. And we can do that even in the midst of suffering. And so let's go back and read that here. Verse 5. He says, Hope does not put us to shame or hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And so what is the hope in God connected to that leads us through suffering? It says right there, the hope does not the hope that doesn't put us to shame is because of what? All right, it's because of the love of God. And so as we think about this theme, the love of God, what we see initially here is that it, there's a confidence and there's an assurance that even though I'm suffering, even though this is hard, I can still have hope. Right? I can still have hope. And that hope is concrete. That hope is solid. It's not something that's going to fade or going to change. So this isn't just wishful thinking. You know, there are religions out there that say rid your mind of everything evil and just have positive vibes, positive thought processes, don't have any negative vibes. And what will come as a result of that is all these positive things in your life. And so if you want to be wealthy, you need to rid yourself of any of your weaknesses and your thoughts need to be continually positive. And the more you think about it, the more that will become your reality. And so the problem with you and I not being billionaires is we just don't believe it can happen. So if we have the right mindset, that can be true, all right? Now, we certainly don't believe that, and there's no scriptures to support that. Uh, so it's not just a, hey, I'm going to throw out a positive thought, and I hope that this hope will sustain me in the midst of my suffering. This is rooted in, in the love of God. Uh, it's rooted in the Word of God. And so hope doesn't disappoint us, or it doesn't put us to shame, because it's rooted in Christ. So everything that comes our direction as Christian is allowing us then to experience the love of God. Now, is hope something that is produced by suffering? Does the text say suffer and persevere and get character and then you'll have hope? Is it you have to go through something and then hope is the result of that? No. What we read earlier is that hope is in the forefront. So in around verse 2, uh, all right, so therefore since you're justified, you have peace with God. You have through Jesus Christ, faith in Jesus Christ, You've been given access to the grace and now that you stand in. And now you boast in the hope of the glory of God. Alright, so that hope is something that's built in us at the point of justification, at the point of belief. And what he says is, this hope won't disappoint you as you make your way through suffering. So when you find yourself in the middle of something you don't understand, you say this is hard, I don't want to be here, this is not what I had planned... There is still a peace, there is still a hope, a confidence that you and I can have. We can rest assured that the hope that he started to build in us will sustain us through whatever it is that we face. And all that is built in the love of God. So a love like none other assures us that hope in God will not disappoint us. That hope will never fade, it will never fail, it will never lack, it will never be um, past due. It will always show up when it is uh, intended. So the love of God doesn't disappoint. That's pretty good, right? Uh, we like hope, and we don't like hope that's like this. We want hope that's concrete and solid. And Paul says we have that because it's sealed up in those who believe 
because of the love of God that's been poured out in our hearts. All right, secondly here this morning, the love of God is going to be something that is experienced. It's something that's experienced, and here it's experienced by those who have placed their faith in Christ. Now, think with me. As you think about the love of God, what are some facts that we could say about the love of God? What's something you could say? What's an adjective that you could put in front of it that would be describing what the love of God is? So the love of God is absolute. What else? When you think about God's love, what do you think of? What's it make you hold on to? The love of God. Yes. It's positive. Okay. So he's for you. Anything else? Ma'am? His word. All right. So he's expressed and preserved love for us through his word. He's shown us that he loved us or told us that he loved us there. Good. Anything else? When you think of the love of God, what are some other just facts? Okay. Okay. It's always the same. He's always there. It's always there. So it's not dependent on anything else. Okay. So the love of God is comforting. So that's experience, right? And that's realized. There's lots of facts, and these are all true, and lots of things that we can point out as true, and, it, and they're essential. Um. But what Paul is trying to help us see here, that word experience means it, it can become my reality. And so it's, it, has, it bears weight in my life. I thought about the love of the Lord. It never, it endures forever. And we've read that scripture here recently. It's, it always goes on. That's a fact. The love of God is eternal. That's a fact. You know, 1 Corinthians says the love of God, it endures all things. That's a fact. The love of God is uh, unconditional. Right? That agape love. That's a fact. The love of God is without limits. It has no bounds. Those are all facts and they're all true. But here Paul is saying the love of God is not just something to be true and to be rehearsed in your mind is true, but it's something to be experienced. And it's something that you can experience if you are somebody who's put your faith in Jesus Christ. So let's read it again. Hope doesn't put us to shame. That means there's an experience. Hope doesn't disappoint you. So it's not just manipulate your mind to believe that what's actually going on isn't real. Right? That's new spiritualism. That's new ageism. That's not what the Bible teaches. It's not manipulation. It's not trick yourself into thinking differently. There is a real experience for those who have put their faith there. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts. And so what's the experience tied to? It's tied to the love of God that's been poured out in our hearts through the working of the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So where God lives, God influences. Okay? Where God lives, God influences. And so if he just resides in my mind, he might be a thought that I think about to have discussions about, but when life gets real, he's not going to bear any weight in that real situation because he's just on the surface level of my mind. He's just a thought. He's just a fact. But when it's relational, when it's personal... When this is God breathing life into me through his love that's been poured out in my heart through his Holy Spirit, then it becomes realized. It's experienced. Right? It's something that is partnered with his word. Uh, so where there's peace instead of worry, you know what that is? 
That's just the love of God being realized. That's the love of God coming to life. Have you had that experience before? We sing about it, right? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of the earth will grow strangely dim. Right? The things that are bothering us, they fade in the light of what's true. But not just what's true. It's also because it's partnered with what's within us. No spirit within, no transformation. Right? Lots of people on the planet can quote the Bible better than I can. But they don't know Jesus. They don't know hope. They don't know peace. They don't know life. They don't have joy or comfort. Because it's not real in them. The, the love of God has not been poured out in their hearts. So having proper information or correct information is important. But Paul's saying here it's to be experienced. In the middle of your suffering, you can find hope. That's experienced. It's not mind manipulation. It's not just say it until you believe it. It's not mantra. That's anti-Bible. Here we're talking about things that are true. And so peace instead of worry is a love of God experience. What about when you pray for wisdom and you feel like you get wisdom to make a good decision? Is that coincidental? Is it accidental? That's the love of God that's being poured out in my heart. It's experience. He's real, right? Uh, he lives in us. We sing all these songs. Sometimes we just don't believe it. We think it's just a transfer of information from a book to a mind. What about when you have guilt over your sin? When I'm guilty over my sin, what does the Bible tell me that is? That's the experience of a loving God. When I find discipline from my father, Hebrews tells us, it's because he loves me. So where there is discipline, where there is this spirit working in me because I've sinned, it's not just, hey, trick yourself into believing that what you're doing is wrong, but it's the work of God, the active work of the Word of God partnered with the living Spirit of God and a person of faith. And so where those things happen, then there can be this, this real experience, okay? It's not... Um, it's not void, it's not blind emotionalism. So there's some of that that goes on. When you have this kind of emotional experience and then that emotion fades and you don't really know what's happened, that's not the love of God being poured out in our hearts because it's not tied to what's true. Right? So we worship God in spirit and in truth. Right? Both are necessary. So it's not just all one, it's not just all the other. Uh, Paul would say here it's both and. So it is something to be lived out, something to be experienced by those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. And so the love of God is situated in the truth of God's word and it's ignited in the heart of a believer through his Holy Spirit. So it's something to be realized. So if you've ever found yourself experiencing any of those things, peace, comfort, joy, life, uh, guilt removed, rest, reassurance, that's the living spirit of God in you. It's not a pastor manipulating you. It's not a good book that you've read. You've not tricked yourself into thinking something's true. It's not. He's active. Right? He's active and he's active through his word and his spirit. And then third here, the love of God is perfectly demonstrated in the person and in the death of Jesus Christ. And this is something that kind of came to life uh, for me a little bit more even yesterday. And so I've added a little bit to this here. But uh, yesterday, yesterday my wife and I were sitting in an ER with our oldest daughter and she was just suffering some pain and she's suffering some broken heartedness there. And... And it was difficult, right? So I'm a pacer. So the, the nurse said, Dad, would you like to have a chair? I said, no, I couldn't sit still. And so I'm just kind of walking around, walking around, just trying to pray and think things through. And every time she cries, or every time she winces, I just, I want to take it. Right? And, and I told her, and her mom told her, it's just like, 
if I could take this for you, I would. I wish I could trade with you. I just can't, I can't bear to see you hurt. And it, it makes you almost angry. Uh, and there's nobody to be angry at, right? Just my own sinful flesh within. It wasn't anybody's fault. It wasn't God's fault. It wasn't mom or dad's fault. It wasn't Lily's fault. It just happened. But uh, just being honest, that's kind of the work of the flesh, I guess, against me currently. But as I walked around that room, I, like I said, I was just trying to, to pray and ask God to either remove it or I wish I could take it for her. And I started thinking, why is that? And I think you would do the same thing for the people you love, wouldn't you? Like people in our life that we love, that we care for, we don't want to see them hurt. When they cry, we cry. And when they're broken, we're broken. And that has, it bears weight in our life. Uh, and so I started thinking, man, that's, that's because you love her. That's why you're experiencing that. But is that a love like none other? And if you experience that for the people that you love, and I experience that for the people that I love, we experience that for one another, that doesn't sound like a love like none other. That sounds like a love that every other has. So a love that would be like none other would have to be different from that. It would have to be displayed and demonstrated in a way that is different than just, I love you and I feel your pain as much as I possibly can and I'm hurting because you're hurting. Uh, and so God has come through in a very different way to demonstrate a love like none other. Right? And you know this verse very well. Uh, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. And, and so I'd be willing to trade places with my daughter, but I wouldn't be willing to trade places with somebody who was ungodly. Right? If somebody physically abused your family member uh, and they got hurt in the process, would you exchange spots with the person who hurt your family member? Would you take their hospital stay? Would you rather have been hurt than them? No, there's part of us that's kind of, we feel justified, like, I'm glad you got hurt. You're getting what you deserve, right? Should have been worse, should have been more than that. And yet God says here at, right, at the right time, he died for the ungodly. Well, why would he do such a thing? I mean, very rarely will anybody die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God... He demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's a love like none other, right? He died for the sinner. He died for the ungodly. For those who were spitting in his face, literally. He's looking back at them and saying, and I love you. And I'm hanging on this cross for you. And you don't even understand that I'm doing this for you. But that is my love that's being expressed. It's my love that's being demonstrated. And in no better way has the love of God been displayed than there through the process of betrayal and the beatings and all of the mocking and through the death on the cross uh, of our Savior. And so God loved all. That's a love like none other. And God gave everything that he could for everyone. And that again is a love like none other. And even for his enemies. He willingly took upon himself the penalty of sin so people like you and I could have that relationship. All right? So people like you and I could know the love of God. So it could be poured out into our hearts. That word translated poured out can also be translated gushed. So when you think of gushing, what's that make you think of? Is that a different word picture than pouring? Pouring to me kind of looks polite. It's kind of controlled. You know, it's smooth. When you think of gushing, what do you think of? Yeah, just kind of like, you know, trying to drink out of a fire hydrant. You know, whoo, 
It's just water's going everywhere. It's overflowing. It's not just this little controlled, quiet, peaceful stream. It's just almost reckless looking. That's what the Bible says the love of God looks like. That's how it's poured out or it's gushed in the heart of those who have believed. And lots of scriptures highlight this, but let me just share a few here, although these aren't on the wall. Right, what was his motivation? He did it because he loved. Uh, you remember the verse that says he became poor so we could become what? So we could become rich. Right? That's the exchange of love. There. That's the demonstration of love. Uh, last week we read from 2 Corinthians 5 where it says he who knew no sin became sin for us. So there was an exchange so that we might become what? The righteousness of God. So we might become righteous. Right? Why is that allowed? Because God demonstrated love for sinners. See, that's a love like none other. I love my daughter, and I'd love to trade spots with her at this moment. And we hurt with one another. People in your life here have uh, recently passed away, and I can't feel your pain exactly. But when you see people hurt, it hurts you. When you see people grieve that you know, it just it grieves you, and you, you feel the weight of that. And you want to try to allevi alleviate that pain. But for somebody that I don't know or somebody that I don't really care for, do I have a love like God has? You know, it is simply a love that is, it's incomparable. It's a love like none other, right? The, the just for the unjust, the righteous for the unrighteous. He became poor so that we could become rich. On and on we could go as it relates to the love of God. But what I would say is this. If we thought about how the love of God has worked in our life, we would probably consider ourselves really blessed. Would you? I mean, when you think about ways and times how God has loved you, how his word is, has just he's seen you through, or how his spirit has comforted you, or how he has prodded somebody to come your direction to uphold you or to serve you. And when I think about God's love for me, I think, man, I'm really blessed. I'm really blessed. But what Paul will go on later to tell us is it's not just about enjoy the blessing of the love like none other, but we're called to live out a love like none other. Right? Paul wrote and said, be imitators of Christ. He wrote and said that the, Christ, or the love of Christ compels him. What he has done for me then compels me to go out and live my life for his glory. So if you have a hope that's assured... All right, if you have the experience of God's love in your life, then the call is to die to ourselves and to love others as Christ has loved us. So that when they look at us, they'll begin to see, man, that's a love like I've never experienced before. That's a love like none other. I've been hostile to this person, but they're patient with me. And they asked if they could borrow something, and I said no, but when I was in need, they came to my defense or they came to help me. Why would you do that for me when I wouldn't do that for you in return? Right. When you looked after me when I went through a hardship or you just sat beside me when my heart was heavy, that's a love like none other. And that's the love that's being demonstrated in the person of Christ uh, here in our text today out of Romans chapter 5. And so our prayer should be, God, let this love grow in me and then let it flow through me so that other people might know that there is this love that's like none other that can work in their life as well. Because God loves them. He demonstrated his life in this way. While we were all sinful people, he gave his son Christ to die for us. Do I deserve to have the love of God gushing in my heart? 
no, I don't deserve that. No one else does either. But God says because he loves us, for those who've placed their faith in him, man, he has poured this. He has pushed it in. Uh, it's his love and it's that sustaining love that sees through any kind of tribulation, suffering, anguish, heartache. It's always constant. So what I want to ask you as we close here is just simply, do you know this love? Do you know this kind of love? I mean, do you know that God loves you? And we sing the song, and there's a bunch of songs that we sing. We talk a lot about our response, right? I love you, Lord, we sing today. Uh, maybe as we pray, we say, God, I love you, and I, I love you because of what you've done for me. But it's good for us to pause as well and just remember him as the, the initiator, the God who loved us first, who stepped our direction when we were nothing but sinful. And so do you know this love? If not, then we'd love to talk with you about how that is a reality and how it can become a reality for you where you can find this gushing in your own life. Maybe you're sitting here today and you'd say, yeah, I know that I have experienced or I know the love of God and I know that it's real. I know he's real in my life. But maybe there's somebody in your life who needs to be loved this way by you. Or maybe it's God, I don't know anybody in my life right now who needs to be loved this way. Line me up with somebody who needs you or help me see those around me that need you. Lead me in a way where I can display your kind of love. Just help me to love others uh, as you've loved me. Now, the one thing I don't want to do as a Christian, a follower of Christ, I don't want to settle. I, I don't just want to settle. I don't want to say, okay, I know enough. I've learned enough. I've had this realized enough. I just want to grow more, want to be changed more, want to understand more, want to know. You know remember when Paul prayed that? I don't want you just to understand the love of God. I want you to know it, that it's realized in your life, that it is broad and it's high and it's deep. It's immeasurable. And so I pray that God will help us to further understand this and that he'll help us to further display this because his love really is a love like none other.